0: Hi everyone, Remo Keywords here. Welcome to another episode of the Leap Takers podcast, the podcast for the curious, where I'm interviewing daring European entrepreneurs, investors and shapers from various fields to learn how to get started on their journey and to discover the insights, tips, tricks and advice they gathered so that you too can take the leap. I hope you all had a great start into 2020 and that you're already working hard towards those goals and resolutions you set yourself for this year. I personally actually just came back a couple of weeks ago from a longer trip in South America and now I'm really excited to bring the podcast and some other personal projects to the next level this year. So I have some really exciting guests coming up this year and I hope you're looking forward to that. I'm very excited to present to you today the newest episode with Vidika Jain, who I actually interviewed on Christmas. A big thank you to her already at this place. So who is Vidika? Vidika is an investor at Weekend Fund, an early stage venture capital fund that is backing your next favorite thing. So previously she worked for high profile startups like Stripe and TrueLayer, and I'm a big fan of Weekend Fund and heard about Vidika because she joined the fund uh, last year. To give you some background, uh, Weekend Fund was started in 2017 by Ryan Hoover. In case you don't know, he's the founder of Product Hunt, an amazing site to discover new products. And Product Hunt was also acquired by Angelist. So, Vidika has a really interesting background story and approach how she made her way into the wonderful world of venture capital, as some would say. (laughs) And I believe we can learn a lot from her. So, in today's episode, you will hear about her tactics, how she got into VC, general career advice for picking the right companies and startups to work for, and we will also learn more about the Weekend Fund itself as well. Most of all, Vidika is a super nice, fun, and helpful person, so I'm very excited to continue following her path and see what great companies will come out of Weekend Fund. As always, before we get started, I'd like to share one of my favorite quotes. Here it goes. Everything you want is outside of your comfort zone. I actually don't know who to attribute this quote to, since I found several names online. So let's just leave it at that. But yeah, I'm certain that this quote has a lot of truth to it and that to achieve the things you want, you just have to be brave and get started and push yourself out of the comfort zone. If it would be easy, you would have already done it or achieved it by now. Having said that, let's get started with today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the LeapTakers podcast. And hello to Vedika, who is here with me today. Welcome to this episode of the LeapTakers podcast. I'm so excited to have you here on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. for f- Spending your Christmas Eve with me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to say thank you so much for shortly for Christmas to do this recording. I'm sure you must be very busy as well with all the preparation.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, so my parents live out in India and we don't celebrate Christmas, so I'm actually flying back to India on Christmas Day because the flights are a lot cheaper.
0: Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense.
1: International flying hack, especially when you're flying out like from the Western world to the East.
0: Yeah, I guess you can save a lot of money flying <laughs> on this day. But cool. I would like to start with just a quick intro from your side to the audience that might be not that familiar with you, if you could just describe yourself quickly, how you would introduce yourself to someone you just met, maybe at a cocktail party or or at a dinner.
1: Yeah, sure. So, hi everyone, I'm Vilika, and so I invest in early stage startups. We can fund as chief of staff before we can fund. I worked as a product manager at a financial infrastructure startup called TrueLayer in London. And before that, I was a payment startup called Stripe in San Francisco. What Stripe and TrueLayer have in common is that they both build tooling and infrastructure for developers, which I think is a really valuable thing to do. The other things I do is not that different from what anybody else does, I guess. I hang <laughs> out with people I love, I read books, I buy more books that I read, I order things off
0: Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I think we will get to the, the book part for sure later. Okay. And <laughs> thanks for the intro. And yeah. I read something on a medium post that you, that mm. you shared and that caught my attention. And I really wanted to ask you about it. So I think the quote was that you wrote, I spend my days learning about what it takes to build, launch and sell successful technology products. Mm -hmm. try to make the best of the 30,000 or so days allocated to me. I was wondering, it sounds like you're very fascinated with technology and learning. So where does this interest come from?
1: Hmm, Good question. So I guess a little bit of backstory there. So I grew up in India and my parents run a traditional flour milling business. So they make flour and i guess when you want to make more flour like you invest in better machinery and you hire more people and there was a little technology involved on the machinery side um but not a lot but the one thing was that growing up like business was always a part of the conversation at home and then when i was 17 i was lucky enough to move to berkeley for college so this is berkeley california and I think there's lots of things to be said for or against the Bay Area. But the one thing that like really made me go, whoa, as a 17-year-old Indian girl who just had moved to Berkeley was that everybody felt like they were a part of influencing the future. Like people, kids in my dorm would have conversations about it and girls in my sorority would have conversations about it. And it was really cool to be living somewhere somewhere where you feel like you can do something about the future versus it just being something that happens around you if you wait long enough. And yeah, that's how like the whole thing um started. And I mean, philosophically, I like it. Like technology is about tools and it's about making things happen.
0: Yeah, that sounds very interesting. And given that you already mentioned you then worked at, for example, True Layer, how how did you get into these jobs like was it clear for you that you want to work in one of these tech companies or startups or did you more by accident get into that field
1: well because i was in college in the bay area i think a lot of what you end up doing is a lot of what your friends end up doing and working in tech was the default thing to do but I also was lucky enough to have some internships during college that definitely made me sure that this is what I want to do after school. So one of them was I ended up working at a late stage venture capital fund while while I was still at college. And as a college student, like it seemed wild to me that you could have a job, like you could get paid to hear people pitch different parts of the future they want to build and you basically agree or disagree with them and you take bets on them and help their grow their companies. I, I love that. And then I ended up at Stripe which was growing really fast when I joined them. I guess I've been lucky enough to work at really fast growing startups. One thing I always wanted was like, I wanted to join companies where the action was if that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, Stripe and TrueLayer were both companies like that. TrueLayer was about six people when I joined them a little over two years ago. And when I left TrueLayer about two months ago, it was 70 people.
0: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big group already.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think both of these companies were actually going after really big opportunities. Stripe is growing the GDP of the internet, and TrueLayer is. Trying to open up access to financial data.
0: When you joined Stripe, how how big was the company at this point?
1: I think it was around 250 people.
0: I'm fascinated with Stripe because it's such a great company from what you hear, and the the Collison brothers they really seem to do really well in what they do. I think I heard an interview with Patrick Collison once, um, yeah, and it was very interesting to to just learn about his mindset.
1: Stripe is cool because Stripe basically makes it easier to start businesses. And when you make it easier to start businesses, a lot more people start businesses, which yeah. is you know good for the world.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you have any tips for you know recent graduates that want to land a job at, at one of those type of companies?
1: Mm, that's a good question. So I think rather than tips, I can kind of go over a few things that I learned, picking the jobs that I did pick, and that's like that's not to say that you know following this path is the right path, but like you can't run simulations in your own life. This yeah. is what <laughs> I chose. So the first is yeah, like go where the action is happening because I think it'll really give you an opportunity to actually have an impact and grow as the company grows. You actually need like space in the organization to be able to do that. The other thing is when I started my career, which wasn't that long ago, but I was picking companies more than I was picking bosses or coworkers. And that's something I've actually changed my mind about because I think now when I pick a job, um, like a, a big part of my decision to work for Weekend Fund was actually to work for Ryan. So I think kind of optimizing for the people that you end up spending the most time with at work, I think it's, is an underrated strategy. And the other thing is just start doing the work. One of the things the internet makes possible is that you don't have to ask for permission, really, to start doing things. And you can do the version of the thing that you eventually want to do. So I wanted to get a job in venture capital and venture capital involves seeing companies, finding companies, evaluating those companies to invest in and then actually making the investments and helping those companies grow. And to be able to see investments, you need access, right? So that requires some sort of permission to to help companies grow or the investments you've made grow. Like you need to have those investments. But one of those things, which is kind of evaluating investments, I don't think you really need permission. Like there are so many funding grants that get announced on the internet every day and you can start forming an opinion about those companies. You can put your thoughts out there. You can send them to people who are friends of yours that are building things or friends of yours that are investing, start getting feedback, but just kind of be on your way if that makes sense, because I think that just opens up a lot of things that you couldn't have predicted before you start doing the thing. And you learn so much more about something once you're already doing it versus just before. But yet we spend so much of our time you know, in that just before state.
0: I really like all the things you just mentioned, especially pick the person you work for or pick your boss. Yeah, it, it's definitely an understated strategy that can really pay off if you work for people that can help you further in your career and that you can learn from. And also what you mentioned with just do it and with the internet, you can just get involved in it. It's also so true. And that is where I wanted to go anyway now. So I read that you just started writing these investing memos about companies Mm. that you found interesting online. Mm. And I found this very funny because I did the same thing or I'm still doing the same thing just for my personal interest outside of what I do for my work. That really resonated with me when I read that someone else is doing this as well. So yeah, can you just walk me through the story, how you started doing this and how it played out?
1: So in terms of why I started doing it, I knew I wanted to, you know, get into a career in investing, but there's so many more people that want to, a job in metric capital than there are jobs, right? So it's like, I think it's one of those careers where like, like you have to start doing the work before you get the job. Um, not because you even want to, but because I think for a lot of people, it's the only way. And I was one of those people. I didn't have a track record in investing. I'd only really had like product management or more like analyticsy jobs. And the process was, I would, if there was like a funding announcement article in TechCrunch, Or, you know, there was like a new addition to a portfolio page of a VC that I like. And some VCs will actually publish externally facing memos. So USV famously does this. I would use that announcement as a starting point and try to reverse engineer whether I would have made the investment or not. I think you really just have to get started somewhere. One of the early investment memos I wrote was about a company called Retool. That investment memo was a huge opportunity to learn what's actually, you know, what's going on in programming tools. That's, I hadn't thought about that before. What's up in internal tools specifically, what is like the actual bet that you're making? You know, when you invest in this company, going deeper into the product, right? Like, how does it work? Why does it work? Why is it better? Why is it defensible? And then, yeah, like all of the obvious stuff, like the market, is the market they're solving for big, is it growing, who are they competing with? And you start with those questions about one company and then it leads you to other companies because the question of who are they competing with, then suddenly you find yourself researching the competitors. And one thing um, that I didn't realize then that I realize now because you know, now I'm actually investing is what back then I didn't have access to any proprietary information right so it's not like I was jumping on a call with the founders of retool I realized when you don't have access to information you really find all the information that you can and one of the things that I spend a lot of time on is actually the personal blogs of the founders and the twitters of the founders you know what are what are they like what are they spending their time thinking about is what they're building feels like a natural extension of the people that they already are. Do I think they're uniquely qualified to build this business Would the founders be friends, like organically, or is just, you know, they've just kind of come together to build this business. Because one of the things I started to see is like these teams, the people in the teams, they combine and recombine in different ways. Like they do it as a part of like founding teams, they do it socially, they do it as a part of projects.
0: Yeah, because the one thing you cannot really do is when you do this investment memos, you cannot really talk to the founders, no. <laughs> which otherwise as a VCU, you, you would. So I like that idea that you checked their online profiles and stuff like that to get a feeling for who they are. And how long would the memos be once once you wrote them?
1: I'm happy- actually send you one or send whoever one, but like my ritual memo was like four and a half pages.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. But you did not really publish them, right? You, you kept them to yourself because it was more a learning experience for your own. Exactly. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it was a learning experience for me, but, but since I wrote the blog post about how I ended up at Weekend Fund, a lot of people have reached out to me asking, for the memos and i sent it to a few people and my brother actually ended up sending it to the founders of Retool.
0: Oh, <laughs> nice, cool. <laughs> <laughs> really cool, cool. Uh,
1: full circle there. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for me it was just like, a, it's for me it wasn't that different from making notes in my personal notebook. Like this is never supposed to be something for like external consumption.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You know, it was just kind of me learning learning for myself and kind of just satisfying my curiosity about Mm -hmm. companies and how things work and why things are the way they are.
0: And are you interested in specific areas like that companies are active in, any specific industry?
1: Mm -hmm. So we invest broadly at Weekend Fund, but some of the trends and sectors that we've been actively following our audio and voice. So the hardware is becoming ubiquitous. Like I think in 2018 there were 35 million AirPods sold. You know, so what is possible, you know, that platform. So another area I think both Ryan and I care about quite deeply for a number of reasons is helping people make money doing what they love. Right, like, because Ryan and I get to do that, and it it doesn't seem fair that a lot of other people don't. So, you yeah, A16C calls it passion economy, we'll call it tools for makers and creators. And then some other areas we've been looking at more recently is unbundling of Excel, software for non-desk workers. So... I'd say the majority, maybe 95, 98, 99% of all venture capital funding goes towards building software for the desk workforce. But my dad runs a flour mill and the majority of his workforce is non-desk, like they're in the mill, right? And today, a lot of their business is happening on WhatsApp and their communication and their collaboration and... You know, they're going to need like a hands free, mobile first, you know, like works in native languages tool set. I'm curious about that as well.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point about the non desk workers. There is Mm -hmm. a company here in Switzerland called Beekeeper, and they do exactly that. I think it's software to communicate with non-desk workers and they just i think in september raised like a 45 million round if i remember right it's definitely an area that is a bit overlooked but there is a big opportunity there
1: yeah beekeeper is a cool company i almost wrote an investment memo on them but i know like they power kind of software like the hilton hotels heathrow airport you know like all of those places where you see people like when you're checking in for your flight, yeah, and you see like you see the EasyJet employee like on like an MS DOS like terminal.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so
1: Who's building software for all of those people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: cool. So I'm really interested about this story. How you met Ryan of mm-hmm. Weekend Fund, and yeah. obviously, I think uh, a lot of people in the audience probably heard of Ryan or at least heard of Product mm-hmm. Hunt. So. Can you walk me through the story, how you got introduced to him or like how you first heard about Weekend Fund and how th- ha- yeah. how the story went that you could join, join the company?
1: So I guess picking off where I left off with the fantasy investment memos, there kind of came a point where even though I loved my whole fake it till you make it version of investing, I, I did want to do less faking and more actually doing the thing. And I reached out to my friend, Harry Stebbings, who runs a podcast called 20 Minute BC. Harry said something that really stuck with me. And I'm not sure if Harry remembers saying this, but it's one of the best pieces of advice I've received about actually getting into investing. He's like, ovika oh, you want a job in venture capital? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, okay, well, the way to do venture capital is to, get people to trust you to manage their money and is to get other smart people to take your money. And that kind of stuck with me because one of the things that I was exploring is joining one of the larger funds as an associate, but I don't think I would have really gotten to do as much of these, you know, things at larger funds where they have a partnership that has several partners already in place. When Harry told me that, I was for a moment thinking I would go raise my own funds. I actually went on a little bit of a roadshow. Wow, (laughs) okay. Over my Christmas holidays last year in India. And I met a few potential LPs. And I was having conversations about it. But what I really didn't fully appreciate was it's not about getting people to give you their money right like that it's hard it's definitely very hard but i think it was doable to get enough money to start a micro fund but -hmm. the other part of it would have been really hard which is access to the best deals
0: yeah for sure
1: and this time around i was like okay well i'm probably not gonna fake it like i did um with the memos and, and then, just coincidentally, Ryan was looking for somebody to bring on board Weekend Fund and basically help him run the fund. Harry actually introduced me to Ryan, which I'm really grateful for because I would have probably never had the job without Harry. And that was in February, but maybe late January or February this year. I joined Ryan March this year. I did it nights and weekends for about six months. So Ryan still runs Product Hunt during the day and I was at TrueLayer. And yeah, I just like log on to my computer after work and we jump on calls with founders and do diligence and figure out what kind of experiments we could run to actually treat the fund as a product because mm-hmm. we're both product people and yeah it went well and ryan and i both took a leap (laughs) and i joined full time in october so i've been doing about full time for two months now
0: that's an amazing story and i'm happy for you that it worked out that well with with joining weekend Fund. that you now can even do it full time as well
1: i'm really lucky i think when you get lucky there's definitely a responsibility to pay it forward, I I say that in quotes, but it's to really kind of make the world more meritocratic for people who haven't been that lucky, right? Like, what if you don't know Harry Stebbings? Who knows Ryan?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I get you. So there's so many places (laughs) where we could go next. (laughs) Maybe tell me a bit about We Can Fund itself. You mentioned it was not more side hustle in the beginning for Ryan. Like kind of how big is your fund now? How many companies do you typically invest in? And just a bit about your investment approach as well.
1: So back in 2017, Brian announced Weekend Fund 1, and that was a $3 million fund to back early stage startups. And we invested in about 40 startups out of that fund. And we invested in founders from around the world That fund is still young, but it's off to a strong start. And a few weeks ago, we basically announced we can Fund 2, and it's a $10 million fund. And this fund is three times the size of the last fund. It means that we can end up writing bigger checks, right? So we can make bigger bets on the companies that we really believe in. Um, But we don't uh, lead deals. So that means we get to be a team player in the venture ecosystem. Also, we can write smaller tracks if need be. And one of the things Ryan worked extremely hard um, to make happen is our LP base. So we have about 100 of the world's best operators and investors as LPs in the fund. Our hope is that this makes like the weekend fund community stronger they can help out our portfolio companies in the ways that they need the most help we write about 100 to 200 k checks mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess i already talked about the areas we're most excited yeah. about
0: one thing i was in, in, interested in is you invest or you manage to fund via Angelist. Is, is that correct
1: uh, yeah, you mean for the AngelList Venture Funds product?
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, we do. So one of the reasons we're able to run Weekend Fund with Ryan and LA, mean London, a Slack channel and an Airtable is because we use AngelList Venture Funds to manage our back office.
0: This is definitely great product for the smaller micro funds. I'm not sure if this is only available in the US or is it also possible to do that in in europe do you know
1: i don't know but i think they launched it in india recently yeah but you're right like it basically it takes the overhead yeah. out of running a venture capital fund so if you are running a fund you can focus on things that really matter most which is sourcing the best companies investing in the best companies and helping the companies that you invest in become the companies that they actually want to become.
0: Another question I was really interested in is, since you are fascinated with technology and startups, if you have any resources or books for aspiring VCs like you, or also for entrepreneurs that you think could be helpful.
1: Sure. Oh, so much. I mean.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a broad (laughs) question.
1: So, I mean, I'd say first round review is probably the best, tactical you know what do I do when I have this problem
0: so that's
1: first round review first
0: round review okay
1: yeah and then there are other things that I read on almost a weekly basis that on the surface are not you know they're not like a tech blog um but really helps me think so one of them is David Perel's Monday Musings newsletter Probably everything by like Morgan Hazel at Collaborative Fund. He writes on the Collaborative Fund blog. Let's see. Oh, uh, for aspiring VCs, I would actually recommend um, reading two things. So the first is, and neither of this is targeted at venture capital specifically, but just how to think about building a career and especially like, you know, like a long-term career. So the first one is the PMARCA guide to career planning. And the second one is a blog post by Sam Altman, how to be successful.
0: Oh yeah. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. But it's basically Sam Altman's thoughts on how to be an outlier, really. I think it applies to aspiring venture capitalists as it does to most of the other careers.
0: Yeah, there were some great names here. I actually don't know all of them, but I will definitely look into this. This uh, sounds really interesting.
1: Let me know if you end up reading any of it. I'd love to know your thoughts.
0: Yeah, so I I heard a first-round review, but I didn't really read it. Then Sam Altman, yeah, of course, I I love uh, his content that he puts out. The other two I was not really aware about. So personally, I really like Haystack. What uh, similar writes and then yeah, yeah. Andrew Chen. Um, yeah, some of those. Do you have a favorite book? Or it can also yeah. be a movie that you would recommend just to anyone that goes on a longer plane ride, for example. So, not necessarily career or entrepreneurship related.
1: Yeah, When Breath Becomes Air. So, it's a memoir written by a newer surgical resident who gets terminal lung cancer I think in his last year of, of residency and it's basically his search for what makes life meaningful and it it's like it's one of those books that really it changed something in me like I felt different after reading the book than before reading the book mm-hmm. um yeah I also read a lot of young adult fiction, which really is aimed at teenagers. But I think like teenage characters ask the best questions and they ask the kind of questions adult characters, you know, may not have the courage to ask. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I read like all of the John Green books, for example. So looking for Alaska is one of my favorites. Turtles all the way down. Another one.
0: So looking at the time, I wanted to ask you also about, you know, the best or most worthwhile investment that you've made so far? And I know it doesn't need to be related to actually an investment of money or a startup investment. It can be an investment of time or energy. Yeah. Or it can also be one of your virtual investments (laughs) from your memos. But yeah, just curious, what do you think is your best investment?
1: Yeah, I'd say by far investing in the relationships that I have. So with friends and family. So I'm in my uh, mid-20s. So I turned 26 in October. I think with friends particularly, and even with my parents, I, it's like Naval will always talk about this idea of how everything worthwhile in life comes from compounding. And I think your mid-20s are the point where those relationships and friendships really start to compound into something. And... Yeah, like by far, more than the books that I've read, more than the jobs I've had, more than the classes I've attended, probably just investing in those relationships has been extremely rewarding for me.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Great. Then, do you have any closing words from your side that you want to mention to the audience? or where people can find you, or where, if they want to learn more about Weekend Fund?
1: Yeah, sure. So, we live on the internet, so you can find us on the internet, but you can find me on Twitter. The Weekend Fund website is weekend.fund. You can honestly just email me at velika at I'm most responsive by email. And happy holidays. Thanks for listening.
0: Great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Vidika, for coming on the podcast.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You could do me a really big favor if you would just tell one of your friends about the Leaf Takers podcast and recommend it or if you want to do even more quickly head over to the itunes or apple podcast store and give the leap takers podcast a five star rating this would really help me to get more visible and that i'll be able to continuously bring on great guests to this show thank you so much also if you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests just shoot me a message you can find all my contact info on leaptakers.com or you can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, where you can find me under Remo Keyboards. Or just follow the Takers podcast directly on Instagram as well. So having said that, thanks again for listening and have a great week. Bye-bye.